0: iPad to Matthew chapter 28. We're concluding our series on the works of Jesus this morning. Next week we're going to kick off the third leg of this journey. We've had the words of Jesus as we studied the Sermon on the Mount. We've had the works of Jesus as we've looked at the rest of Matthew's gospel. And then starting next week we're going to be looking at the people of Jesus and the life and the uh, of discipleship and what that uh, should mean to us as collectively as a community as well as us individually as disciples, but this morning we're going to kind of look at the the last work of Jesus in the resurrection. Uh, I don't know about you, but I had a pretty good April Fool's Day this year. Uh, for those of us that kind of take April Fool's Day seriously, uh, we would like to say to those of you that like to kind of play those quick jokes that don't really, they don't last very long, they're not very well thought out, we'd like to ask you to stop doing that because you're, you're, you're making uh, April Fool's, you know, not the day it should be. For those of us who really works on April Fools? Who really tries to come up with a great way to fool people? Am I the only guy in the room? Nobody else? All right, I got at least one person right there. Okay, so let's let somebody in the back. Um, I feel like Billy Graham. I saw you in the back. If you want to come forward, we'll share April Fool's stories. Uh, but I had a good Wednesday. The thing about an April Fool's joke, it's got to be believable, right? There's got to be some amount of, you know, this could actually be true in it. And it also has to be sustainable. It can't be like something that lasts for two seconds and it's over. You know, if you wake up in the morning, you're the first one up in your house, you go, oh, look, it snowed. How crazy. People look out, there's no snow. That doesn't count, okay? If that's your April Fool's joke, just don't do it. So Wednesday morning, about 10 after 7, I texted a friend of mine, uh, we're in a golf fantasy league together. I know that sounds like saying, you know, you got football fantasy, you know, and you got baseball fantasy, and you got golf fantasy, you know, that's real exciting. But anyway, we're in this golf fantasy league together, and I texted her, and I said, Turn on ESPN, immediately Tiger Woods has just announced his retirement from golf, right? So that's believable because Tiger's kind of, his body's kind of falling apart on him a little bit. He's had a hard time lately. I get a text back about two minutes later that says, what channel? We can't find this anywhere. And I'm about to text, oh, not ESPN, but but April Fool's channel. I can't even get that back to her because she realizes what's happened. And she sends me a text that it was very, some language in that text was very offensive. I was... <laughs> I got to tell you, I was a little hurt by that. And then a little bit later on, uh, I have a friend who loves country music. And so um, Cindy and I are going to the Florida Georgia Line. I think that's a band. I think it's a country band in September. So my wife, Cindy, loves country music, so we're going to that. So I texted a friend about 7.40ish when I knew she'd be trying to get her kids ready for school. She wouldn't be paying attention. And I said, hey, the Florida Georgia Line, if you if you go to this website, uh, uh, com." And and, the, and you're one of the first 500 at today. You're going to be able to get tickets for 40% off. About five minutes later, I get I get a text back. Are you sure about that website? I'm not I'm not finding it. You know, and I'm and I'm like, yeah, I'm absolutely positive. Florida, Georgia, April Fool's joke And I got another text that was again a little bit offensive and and hurtful. Uh, and then the last one I did the, at the end of the day was really great because it was multi-layered. I got one of my staff members and three other people. I sent a text to three people who don't go to Green Tree but know this person. And I sent them a text that said, hey, I just got to tell you, you know, she's decided that she's going to step down and everything. You know, nothing's wrong, but, you know, she's decided that she's done working at Green Tree. You might want to call her and see how she's doing. <laughs> so they're calling her going, oh, we're so sorry to hear about it. And she's like, hear about what? And I'm just sitting in my office laughing and she actually walks into my office. Okay, so this is the second joke I've pulled on her today. She's the fantasy golf one, and she's like, "I just, I can't believe this. I just don't. Who would do such a thing?" And I'm like, "I don't know." A great April Fool's joke is a lot of fun. This time of year, people speculate quite a lot about all things kind of pertaining to scripture. If you turn on TV, you go to the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, you say else about, you know, who was the real Jesus. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, w- discovering the, the secret mysteries of the Bible. And I want to say, you know, if you want to look at all that, just you could read it for yourself and find all that. And, you know, they take some of this fringe stuff, and they make it sound kind of kind of like mainstream, like, like everybody thinks this way. And, and, and the notion is, you know, is there any authenticity to this story? It, did, the, did the resurrection actually hate, hate, t- take place? Is it something that happened or not? You know, and a lot, of, a lot of things that I read and hear this time of year say, you know, it really doesn't matter whether the resurrection happened or not. It just, you know, the notion of Jesus being alive in our hearts, that, that just makes us feel better, and, and that's enough. And I want to say, you know what, quite frankly, that's nonsense. Because Jesus claimed that he was going to rise from the dead, and that's what Scripture says happened. And if that didn't happen, that's like the cruelest joke in the history of the world. Because think about the lives of people, many of whom are sitting in this room this morning. You've based your entire life in this world and, and, and your life in the coming world on the truth of the physical resurrection of Jesus. And if this is a joke, it is an awful joke. i want to give you the sermon in a sentence this morning. It's simply this, and it's actually a quote from James Montgomery Boyce was a pastor at 10th President Philadelphia uh, in the late 20th century and he said the only resurrection that counts for anything is the resurrection is the resurrection of the body. The only resurrection that counts for anything is the resurrection of the body. With that in mind Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10 you heard them earlier in the service again hear the word of God. and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning as the Risen, living Savior. Father, we pray that as we consider this question, the authenticity of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus, not a resurrection in our minds, not not his spirit that lives on, but that the man Jesus actually got out of the grave and conquered death and sin and hell on our behalf. Father, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand your word. Lord, protect us from from my thoughts. They're no different than any other person's thought. They carry no more weight. They're they're irrelevant at the end of the day. Father, give us your thoughts, your truth, (coughs) that it may penetrate our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray that as we consider this question, we would understand the depth of its importance. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn And understand this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to look at this uh, passage through four observations and uh, consider the authenticity of the resurrection of the dead. The first first observation in this text is simply the promise of the resurrection, that this was actually something that was spoken of beforehand. If you look at verses 5 and 6, Matthew records this about the angel's conversation with the women. It begins by saying, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Just as he said is is the emphasis that we want to draw in this particular part of, of the passage. I could take you to a number of places in the New Testament Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and show you a variety of different places where Jesus said just this. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be crucified, and on the third day raised from the dead. I'll give you just one example of that, which is found in Matthew. Oh, I'm sorry, back up uh, before we get to Broadway, Joe. In Matthew chapter 20, let me actually read it for you. It's another great prediction that you've got to guess where we're going with that one. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this as he's going up to Jerusalem. He pulls his 12 disciples aside and he says this We're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's his name for himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, just as we've studied the last three weeks, last two Sundays. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and and as we say in our in our modern vernacular, he called it. Again, I could show you a variety of different places in the Gospels, but think about the night that Jesus was betrayed. If that were you or me praying in the garden, we would maybe have an inkling of what was to come, but we certainly wouldn't know it to the degree that Jesus understood it, where he actually, it was so anxious that he sweat great drops of blood. Why? Because he knew the cross was the journey he had to take to the resurrection. Jesus, understand it. There was a promise of resurrection before this very before this very moment. So think of someone in in recent history who has made a bold prediction, and now we get to, to Broadway Joe. Of course, he's going to make his way into an Easter sermon. How could he not? In 1969, in January, right before Super Bowl three, three days ahead of time. So my generation, I was 10 years old in '69. So a lot of folks in this room will remember this. He said uh, of the upstart New York Jets. We're going to beat the Colts, I guarantee it. it's going to happen. I will tell you that, that a lot of people laughed at that. Uh, I, I, there probably were very few people that, that took seriously that it could actually happen. The Colts were or the giant, the uh, Jets were, were terrible underdogs. The Colts were the powerhouse of the NFL and yet Broadway Joe prediction came true and, and everybody went, wow, he called it he said it would happen. If there is no resurrection, Jesus called it, if it isn't there, then Jesus was a liar. He was one of the most evil liars in the history of the world, or else he was absolutely just completely out of his mind, and guess what, you and I are still in quite a pickle, because we have to answer for our sins to God. There isn't a person sitting in this room who hasn't done something offensive to hurt someone else. There isn't a person sitting in this room who hasn't had some kind of sinful thought, whether it's greed or lust or anger, pass through their mind. There isn't a person in this room that is innocent and is free from the guilt of sin to which we must be called to account. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, it means that you and I are still in our sins. It means that in those moments when you look at the mirror and you don't like what you see looking back because you're ashamed of how you've behaved. And you say, I I, I can't believe that this is really how I'm acting. You still have a problem. And I still have a problem. Because we're still lost in our sins. Because Jesus, if his resurrection didn't take place, means that you and I are the only ones left to account for what we have done. And that is the cruelest of all jokes. To promise life. To promise healing. To promise salvation. But not to follow through. But there was a promise of the resurrection, just as he said, he is risen. But there's also a plan behind the resurrection. I actually want to go to Luke chapter 24, uh, 44 through 48. This is another conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples after his resurrection. And he says to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, we're, we're back to the promise part of this. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's what you and I would call the Old Testament. And Jesus says, I, I've been calling this, this, is, this has been in preparation, this has been moving forward for literally a couple of thousand years up to this very moment. Everything that you read in the Old Testament points towards me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the first thing we need to see here is that the plan of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, actually offers an opportunity for repentance. Notice what he says to his followers. This is a chance for repentance and forgiveness to be preached in my name. Why? Because you're the risen Savior. The opportunity for forgiveness for all who repent. But also notice that this, this plan of resurrection confirms that Jesus' crucifixion for my sins and for your sins was accepted by the Father. He's the one who endorses Jesus as Savior and Lord. It doesn't matter what in the, in the grand scheme of things what you and I think about the crucifixion and the resurrection. What matters most is what the Father thinks. Because Jesus said to the Father, I'm giving my perfect life on the cross as a substitute for all of these guilty people. Accept my perfection in place of their imperfection. And then you can give them my perfection so that they can be made right with you through my sacrifice. And if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, it means the Father looked at that and said, it's not enough. There needs to be something else. It's not good enough. But how does the Father confirm that this gift that Jesus gives is enough for you and for me? How do we know that, as I said, when you look in the mirror and you have this thought go through your head, God could never love somebody like me? And and I'm actually a guy who's paid to be a pretty good guy (laughs) as a pastor, and I can tell you more times than not, that's the thought I've had when I've looked in the mirror. It's the only honest thought to have. How could God love a person like me? who thinks like I do, who says some of the things I say, who treats people sometimes the way I treat people. How on earth could I possibly experience the love of God? Because Jesus paid for all of those sins on the cross. But if God didn't raise him back to death for, to, from death to life, then his sacrifice wasn't accepted. But God the Father endorses Jesus as Savior and Lord, which means every sin I've ever committed or will commit is under his grace and his mercy and his compassion. So, uh, Green Tree Community Church. If you're visiting, you may or may not know this. We're we 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 have got some property, and we're building our first building ever because you know after 17 years, you probably ought to think about something like that. And um, uh, so, we're, we're this is probably our last. Uh, uh, Easter not in our new building. And in in order to build a building, the the people of Green Tree, the spiritual family of Green Tree, has been very generous in their giving because it costs a lot of money to buy a piece of property and to build a a building in Kirkwood. And and the Green Tree family will continue for the next several years in being extraordinarily generous in order to to get that all the way done. Right? That's where you say amen, pastor. Preach it. Way to go. You bet. I, I can't wait to give more. Right? Okay. Good. All right. So, when you go through a process like this, because I never done this before in all my years of ministry, I never been in a building deal. Uh, we hired a guy to help us understand how to do this in a in a in a godly way, in a good way, a way that would be uh, uh, you know build up our congregation and 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 done in a way that would honor God. And his name's Rusty Lewis. And so we get into this thing in the last couple of years, and you're trying to figure stuff out. You think, well, maybe we ought to do it this way. And I can't tell you how many conversations end with, well, what would Rusty say? <laughs> What, what, does this have Rusty's approval? Because if, if it doesn't have Rusty's approval, we probably ought not do it. The next time you think you can outsend the cross of Jesus, just ask yourself this question. What did the Father say? Is, is the gift of his son good enough? And the answer is a resounding yes. Along with the promise of salvation, there was also a plan behind salvation. So that resurrection means that a physical and everlasting salvation for all who trust in Christ. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about this question that was rolling around in the Corinthian church. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. If Christ... If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says if there is no resurrection, we're a bunch of fools because we have believed the greatest hoax ever played on mankind. If you stop and think about evil behind a joke, I'm not talking about an April Fool's joke. But if you think about evil behind uh, something to trick people, your mind may go to the Holocaust. And you may think about the people who were herded onto cattle cars and, and left in these, in these cattle cars for a couple of days, several days before they were let out at what then ended up being, even though they didn't know, a concentration camps. And what did their captors say to them? What did the Nazis say to them it was they got them off the cars, separated the men and the women, and they took them to separate parts of the, of the compound. And they would say, now, we're going to send you through this mass shower in here, and after you've had a shower, we're going to give you a meal, and we're going to give you some new clothes. Why? So that they could get a lot of people peacefully to go to their death. And then they found out, what, it wasn't water, it was gas. After all, that is the most evil hoax you could perpetrate on a group of people. If there is no resurrection, then we are lost for eternity. And that is awful. And yet there is a promise and there is a plan that says otherwise. And even what I'm, my third observation, I'm going to call the attitude of the resurrection, even the, the attitude of the resurrection speaks to its authenticity and speaks to the very heart of God. A couple of observations about the angel, but then also uh, an observation uh, about Jesus' conversation. First of all, when the women come to the to the tomb, and I want you to note that also. Uh, I don't have a slide for this, but if you, the, the, the most telling point for the authenticity of the resurrection is is that God spoke to women first in telling the resurrection. Why? Because the men went to the tomb and then went back to the other disciples, and the other disciples said, how was it? What would they say? It was fine. <laughs> it was good, right? Okay? But Jesus spoke to women, and why the women come back, and what they say? Get, sit down, boys. You're not going to believe what happened, but we were told to give you this in detail. So I want look here. Come on. Give me eye contact. For the next 20 minutes, I'm going to tell you about what happened, right? God's not dumb. So he sends the people who will listen carefully to the details and share them later on. But what's their attitude when they get to the, to the grave? Look at verse 5. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The first thing I want you to see is the compassion of the angel. I mean, here he is. There's been an earthquake. There's been lightning. The guards were laying on the ground as dead men out of fear. And the angel looks at the women who must also be absolutely petrified. And he says, it's okay. I'm actually here for you. Don't be afraid. But he also notes not only their, their, you know, kind of anxiousness over seeing an angel of God, but he also recognizes their grief. He says, I know who you're looking for. You're looking for your friend, right? You're looking for the rabbi. You're looking for Jesus, the one who who met with a bloody, awful end just two days ago. You must be heartbroken. I love the compassion of this scene because it speaks to the compassion and the heart of God. He sent that angel to be kind and to be compassionate to those women as he delivered this message. He met them right where they were. But more than that, in verses 6 and 7, we see this. there's also a message that is, uh, that is open and is assuring. So he says, you know, he's not here, he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has been risen from the dead and he is going before you into Galilee, and there they will see him. There's an openness. There's come look in the tomb. I got the stone out of the way, not because Jesus needed me to move it so he could get out, but so that you could come in and look and and understand that my word is true. It's welcoming for everybody to come and peek and, and come in and look and see what you would see. And then do what? There's an assurance. Go and tell. Have confidence in the message. Believe what you've seen and go back and tell his disciples. And so as they're on their way, we see this attitude continue in Jesus' interaction with these women in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them. Greetings. And then later on, Jesus says, don't be afraid. When Jesus meets them, the word greetings there is just, you know, I don't know how you say hello to people. You know, hey, how you doing? Howdy. How are you today? They're, they're, you know, in the Greek, that's the greeting means greeting. <laughs> just, hey, good to see you. Now, think about what Jesus had just been through. Think about the torture and the humiliation and the, and the abject awfulness of the cross. If I had just gotten up from that, I would say, you know, well, how come you all left me? <laughs> there I was all by myself. Go get my disciples. I got a bone to pick with you guys. And Jesus was like, it's all good. No big deal. It's all in the past. Hey, how are you? Think about that. How are you doing? I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Here's one who just was incredibly tortured, and he's worried about me. Do you see the kindness and the friendship that Jesus gives to these women? I, um, our, our, middle daughter, our middle child is our daughter, Katie, and she lives in Hawaii with her husband, and she's pregnant. And I surprised her uh, over spring break. She didn't know I was coming. Her birthday actually was over spring break. And, uh, and I walked uh, into her garage where she was doing laundry. Uh, after a flight out to uh, to Honolulu and she turned around and she saw me and if if one of your parents who's a little I'm 56 is a little bit older and they're starting to lose their hearing anyway and you're in a small space like a garage please don't scream It really is it, it it makes us hear less than we were able to hear before and she screams and we come and we hug and she's just like I can't believe this I can't believe this. and I'm like hey how you doing no big deal you didn't really think that I'd miss your birthday did you you know just as calm as can be like nothing. It's all about you. I'm glad to be with you. And that's what Jesus does with these women. He's like, don't be afraid. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to an authentic, physical resurrection? That's my fourth observation in this text as we begin to turn it to an application. How do you respond? Look at verses 9 and 10. So Jesus sees them. He says, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him the first response is worship the first response is the the word worship literally means to bow down to acknowledge the greatness of the one who is before you and notice again as you'll see time and time again in the gospel Jesus never rejects our worship anyone that bows down before Jesus he never says don't do that that's only for god Jesus accepts that worship why because he is god in the flesh and our first response And our ongoing response ought to be a response of worship and praise and glory to this one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But then Jesus reaffirms what the the angel said. Don't be afraid. He offers them a place to put their confidence. He offers them a place to lay down their fears and to trust in him. And if you think about the world in which we live, there is plenty of which to be afraid. You know, if you're in good health, you're worried whether you might get sick. If you're not feeling well, you're worried that it might be really serious. If it's really serious, you're worried that you might not come back from it. If you have a job, you're worried whether or not you're going to keep your job. If you own a business, are we going to make it to next year? Are we going to be able to profitable? If you're in school, you might be worried about, you know, the end of the year coming up and things like finals and classwork that you're way behind on. There are plenty of things in this life that, that we ought to kind of be afraid, but not in Jesus' context. Jesus says, don't have to be afraid because i'm alive and the end of the story has been written and you're cared for and he gives them a chance to place their confidence in him and that's the second application for you and me where's your confidence this morning where's my confidence is my confidence in being a pastor of a church Is my confidence in, in trying to be able to put a few words together that will help some people Is my confidence in trying to be a real good guy and look good so you like me or is my confidence in the risen christ in the one who has died and has risen again for me. The last response that Jesus asks of these women is simply this, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I'm quite certain they said a lot more than that when they got back to the disciples, but they certainly delivered that message, and that's the opportunity that the resurrection affords for every disciple to go and to tell. There are millions of people around the world today, Probably, probably over a billion people that are going to be worshiping Jesus, and there are several billion others that aren't. The response that is proper is to worship. The response that is proper is to have confidence in Jesus, but the response is also appropriate to go and to share with others. So at the end of the day, the question is, is it a cruel hoax, or is it the single most important event not in the history of the world But to me, can you and I honestly say the most important event in my life is the resurrection of Jesus? Because it assures me that my faith is in the right place. It's not just about feeling better. It's not just about saying, you know, there's something alive in all of us that is helpful. I was reading an article this week uh, in one of our local papers, and it was really well written. And I agreed with with everything that the author said. And I want to read for you just the, the last paragraph. This juxtaposition of Easter and Passover creates a good time to channel our energies away from fear. It is a good time to channel our prayers into supplications for healing, for peace, and for the emergence of love and respect that can cross the boundaries of our fears. It is a good time to discover the good energy of gratitude. I don't disagree with anything that author said, but it's not enough. If that's all it is. If it's just an opportunity to create some good energy in my life and Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then I'm still as good as dead. And so are you. But it's so much more than that. And that's why Boyce said where we started, the only resurrection that counts for anything is a resurrection of the body. And I would add my own little phrase after that. And therefore, it counts for everything. It's not a joke. It's for you. It's for me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and praise you this morning that you received the sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross on our behalf. We thank you that we no longer have to fear standing before you and accounting for our sins, but rather through faith in Christ, we can have those sins washed away. And because you raised Jesus from the dead, you affirmed that that gift, Was enough. So, Father, we pray that our own hearts would be assured this morning if we know you through Christ. Father, I pray that our hearts would be disturbed if we don't know you to the point of crying out to you for salvation because you freely give mercy and forgiveness to all who ask. We can't earn it. We can't live up to it. It is a free gift. So, Lord, I pray that no one would leave this room without calling on the name of the Lord. For salvation, but Father, also for those of us as disciples, would you remind us that it is also an opportunity to not only have our confidence in Jesus and worship Him, but it's an opportunity to share His grace and His mercy with others. To Him alone be praise and glory and honor. We pray in His name. Amen.